episode of Amazon Studios show The Lord of the Rings The Rings of Power or in this case we are discussing the final two weeks put together at the end of all things maybe not quite the end of all things but we're heading there I'm one of your hosts Aaron and I am joined as always by my amazing co-host also Aaron Hi hello and howdy It has been 2 weeks since we have chatted we took off our episode 7 conversation Mainly because I was traveling, I'll be honest. I was coming home from a long getaway, and it was just a lot to try and get to. But also because it was a bit of a slower kind of setup for the finale episode. Very clearly a drop in energy after the explosive episode six events. It was kind of a finding their self type of situation for all of our characters, and really just continuing to put them on the of, like path. good things in there but like not anything that's like core where you're like okay we need to talk about this exactly it was it was really a, i mean it was a good episode it was it was very much a character development and character movement episode you know and some of it was probably important some of it was it felt a little bit like fluff to me so yeah didn't feel like we needed to rush through that but since we're here and we're about to talk about the finale we should probably talk about a little bit of episode seven first. So to recap briefly, we'll start with the Southlands because the episode begins after Mount Doom has exploded and we get to see the aftermath, all of the dead humans. Unfortunately, all of our heroes have mostly just perfectly saved themselves, survived. Some of them are slightly injured. Rip Isildur's friend. Yeah. The one that we literally just got done talking about how much we loved that he was like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to fight anymore. I'm just going to stay here and like build houses for the poor. And then they kill him. This is tragic. <laughs> I got to admit, I, I was not thrilled. I mean, I wasn't upset with the storytelling choice, but of course. No, I was just sad. I was just bummed more than anything That's else. how it works, like, though. like, he wanted to get away. It's what war is awful thing. And, and yeah, it, it was sad to see Antimo, um pass on and not be able to move forward. I think that probably will be just another kind of feather in the cap of Isildur and Valendil as they move through their aging process and continue to kind of get to the point where they're eventually going to be in this big battle against Sauron, further giving them motivation and and character uh, reasons to be upset beyond or on a personal level, should say. Um we Get to see Galadriel and Theo for a while. I was very curious about your thoughts on this, Aaron, because we have talked in depth a lot about our kind of mixed feelings on Theo. Did anything yeah. stick out to you about that relationship? Well, before we before we go to that, you kind of glossed over something here. Um, is Uh-oh. that despite us knowing it didn't end this way, they kill Isildur. And I thought that that was a really strange choice because we do know how this ends. Like we know what Isildur has to do. So I thought that was a really strange choice that I don't know where they're going to go with it because beyond this in the next episode, they didn't do anything after that. Like you see his dad is like, oh, my boy, like, but it's not even like a Cedric Diggory moment. Like his dad's just like, 
like a quiet calm upset but then like but like again like we know he's not dead like he can't be dead so well, he's not I don't dead he's missing right he's he's in my they can't he's find not him. really missing because he was in the fiery house when they went to pull all those people out and then the house just like exploded but it's one of those things where you didn't see a body so no like 100 percent. but like he, that's what i'm saying he's assumed dead he's not even he's right. not even assumed Presumed, missing. Yeah. he's assumed dead okay um so i thought that was a i thought that was a strange choice given what everybody knows the sealed has to do so we know that he has to live um, unless what they're going to do is be like, oh, yeah, well, Valandiel has a son, and then he names his son Isildur. And, like, they, like, try to spur it off as another thing. They better not. This seems stupid if they do. Um, <laughs> okay. But, uh, like, it was, just, it was just an interesting storyline choice for, like, what they had to do, because I don't feel like it propelled anything forward, at least not yet. Um, Agreed. For Galadriel and Theo, I don't know. This was an interesting, it was an interesting choice um, because again, I agree like Theo needed a, like some form of stronger leadership than uh, Aaron Deer that was just like, I'll give you a hug. Here's a dagger. Go throw it in the ocean somewhere. Attaboy. Like he needed, he needs somebody that he can like genuinely like look up to and has like sees the guidance that this person could provide beyond a father figure. Like, I don't think that when somebody has had an absent father their entire life, what they need is a father figure. What they need is just stability of some kind. And Galadriel can provide that for this person. And so I do that. I do think that it was an interesting choice that just two of them ended up together because it seems almost as if like she found Theo and then conveniently there was nobody else for her to find before they went to go see where the camp of everybody else was. You mean there's not a single other person in that entire volcanic eruption that didn't make it out with Elendil and them, but you also didn't come across. So, because then I'm also like, how did Elendil not come across Galadriel? Like, there's a, there, there was a gap there between explosion and, uh, like, villagers getting to where they're being led to safety that I think needed to be fleshed out a little bit more um only because it didn't make sense not necessarily because it was true to the story like not necessarily that it was like needed it was just one of those things where i was like wait you got so she was your commander but you guys just like left her behind you knew where she was standing and you guys just didn't like go try to find her but i did think that like the softer moments where like galadriel is talking about her husband um that story i i need to revisit it because i feel like the way that she was describing that story i was like was she actually married or like she was like this was my crush so I made him my husband. Like yeah, <laughs> the was, first time I watched it, I was like, language. wait, I'm sorry. what?" Um, yeah. So I was very confused. I need to go back and rewatch that. But it was nice to see her being more vulnerable around Theo and like intentionally choosing to show a softer side because she knows what Theo did. Like she knows what he's done and what he could become. And I think that she can see that he's trying to not be that person. So I did think that it was an interesting dynamic to put these two hardened characters that are hardened for two different reasons together and watch them both melt a little bit. Yeah, I didn't hate it. I also didn't love it. I, I liked the leadership part of it, like you were saying. And there's a specific thing that she says to him that I really enjoyed. She tells him, do not take the burden of this day on your shoulders. You may find it difficult to put down again. And I just thought that was a really smartly written piece of dialogue, that whole you may find it difficult to put down again portion, because it's so true. And we can see in Theo's character that these events are building now. Like this dude is going through a lot <laughs> in the last few weeks or whatever the, the time frame of this is. And, you know, we get when they reunite with Arendir and Bronwyn, there's a brief moment 
where we realize like, oh, yay, everybody we know is alive, you know, except for a Sildur. And Theo hugs Aaron Deer. He runs up to him very father-like and, and gives him a big hug. And that was a um, pretty sweet little moment. And then Galadriel gives her sword to him before that episode ends. And I was a little bit annoyed, to be honest. I, I was like, listen, you know, <laughs> this kid. You kind of need that. <laughs> I, this kid is nothing. Okay. No, I mean, he's been through some stuff by accident. He has made some poor choices, but like he is no one of consequence in the here and now, I should, I guess is what I'm saying. Like he's just, an, he could, could very easily just be another human, right? But I know we are propelling this into something where it feels clear to me he is going to be an integral portion of this story going forward. He is going to be someone who plays a major role in a way that we probably weren't expecting when he first got introduced, just the way that they seem to be setting him up. Yeah, and I, I mean, but the thing is, is even though they, like we were introduced to Theo, he's already become an integral role. Like in season one, his character arc is integral. Like the him finding the hilt of the blade and the way that he uses it and then determining that what he experienced in that moment is not what he wants to continue experience. Like, I don't feel like Galadriel gave him her, like, I, I agree. It was a confusing moment where I was like, okay, like, what are you trying to get across with this action? But the way that I took it was more about like her showing him, like, you can do great things. You don't need great power to do them. Like use this sword, learn how to wield it. Like you can protect your family. Theo's also been somebody that has been repeatedly throughout the season told he's just a kid. He's not there to have any like massive responsibility or to fight or protect the people that he loves. Like he was told to get in the house with the women and children. And as every parent has ever done, like, no, no, you're going in there because you're a big, strong boy and you can protect them, which we all know is absolute bull. But like, I think like to me, the moment read more like Galadriel being like, you can do great things. You don't need great power to do them. And to me, that felt a little bit more resonant to her being like, I believe that you are not like a terrible kid. Like you made some poor choices 100%. She's like, but you have an entire lifetime to correct them. Like use this sword to do like to, to avenge those people or to like protect the the people that survived. Like you said, like don't continue to carry the burden of this day. It doesn't have to define you. So I felt like that was maybe what they were trying to get across with that gesture versus like, you are like the, the child that would be King kind of thing. I think you're right. I also think he's going to be the child who would be king, knowing what we know now at the end of episode eight. About We're not going to get to other, I know. I'm just saying because, well, this is the last time we see Theo. So we, we don't see That's him true, in yeah. episode eight. But I hope he has all... a better haircut next season. <laughs> I'm still really upset about it. It's terrible. Like, <laughs> well, you know what's okay, but you know what's terrible about it is <laughs> the reason why, like, we laugh at kids that have bull haircuts today is because it's like everybody, you look at like yearbooks and you're like, okay, everybody at one point had this terrible haircut as a kid. Like, parents just didn't know what they were doing. Theo's the only person in this whole village that has the whole this world. haircut. Yeah, like, so I'm Miller. literally like, what were you thinking? Like, this is terrible. Like, that's my only problem is like, he looks like a page boy. Like, it's terrible. It, it is. <laughs> my Give thought... him a buzz cut for next season or something. <laughs> yes, maybe. Maybe that'll be part of the founding of, founding of Gondor when, when Brom went in this. These survivors get there and begin that human city that will become very famous. That's why I think eventually he is probably going to yeah. have some sort of role in that. I, I don't know. I'm really intrigued to see where his character goes, though as he matures, especially beyond the events of this particular season. We also get Queen Muriel 
we learn that she has now been blinded, which is a fascinating story twist for someone who is known for being able to see through the Palantir, which is that's the ability why. to see in the future, but now she can't see in the present. I think that's, eyes. yeah, it's really cool. I enjoyed the drama between her and Alindil and the way in which he is just completely devastated and wants to take everybody back and she stands up and unexpectedly I'll be honest this was one of those moments in the show that caught me off guard is he is essentially putting forth that they are just need to collect everybody and head back yeah. to Numenor yeah, give like, up we and are just done go back to where we we were Obviously, he's grieving, and that's the primary reason, let's be real. But she stands up and she says, do not spend your pity on me, elf. Uh, 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 Galadriel is also there, and yeah. she's saying, you know, I'm so she's sorry you, you yeah. lost all of these people. because She's basically taking the blame on herself, <laughs> which is what she just told Theonauts. Which she just told Theonauts. Yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's because she wants a soldier. Anyway, but she says, do not spend your pity on me, elf. Save it for our enemies. For they do not know what they have done. And she proclaims that Numenor will basically go back, retool, and come back stronger and continue the fight. And I just, I got really energized by that moment. I, I was not expecting it. I thought that that was a great progression for Muriel to move. It was a good, it was solid closure for her character, definitely. Absolutely. Like, and it's, you know, it, it opens up a lot about what's going to happen when she gets back. And I know, like, that's probably like something else that we're coming to. But one, I love any any moment in a TV show or a movie that has a proclamation on top of a mountain. I will always be like, yes, give It's a good place more. to do it. Yeah. Like, absolutely <laughs> loved it. I was like, show me all of New Zealand when you're telling them like they don't know what they've done. I know I said this before, but realistically, there's no way they would be anywhere near clear air at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or the ocean. Scientifically, it really drives me drives <laughs> It's me a mad. long way. Uh, yeah. Um, they would have had to trek for like, days slash weeks with a bunch of injured people to get to a, a point where there was not ash in the air. Um, but that separately, because uh, I mean, that would have destroyed all of the views. Uh, I thought this was a really strong character choice for her um, is for her to go back and to, you know, like she is, she has a disability now, which I thought the reveal of that disability was a really interesting choice. Um, like she's, you know, like how long until we're out of the smoke? How long have we been out of the smoke, et cetera? Like I thought that was a really interesting choice, especially because, it, it to me like it naturally made sense to have that happen with Elendil, but the fact that um what's his name was also there Valen uh Valendil yeah, Val Valendil yeah Valendil was leading her horse mm -hmm. they were both there um so I thought that was really interesting because they like kind of exchanged looks like she doesn't she doesn't know uh, who wants to, I, like you're it like I'm not gonna tell her but it's one of those things where like I I am very interested to see where that bridge goes because like some of them are going back some of them are staying um there's like that moment where galadriel's like no i guarantee that they're gonna be back with more people but like she like galadriel knows about the prophecy so nobody knows when that prophecy is expected to occur but also we know that miriel from previous episodes has spoken about how worried that she is her claim to the throne and her claim to like rule her people and how she made a controversial mistake and yet she's going back like not necessarily empty handed, but like, I find it very interesting that nobody wants to approach the fact that like, she is technically going back to her, her island in a weaker position. Like she does, she can't see she has like, you know, half of their entire crew has been murdered at this point. 
So like she's going back and then she's going to try to tell them like, oh yeah, we need to send more people when it's like, what do you have to, con- like, what's your leg to stand on at this point? You know, like, I know she doesn't know like her dad and everything like that, but like, it was, it was just a very interesting, like, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see where this political undertone for Numenor specifically goes. Um, and I'm glad that all the politics of the show aside, for the most part, are relegated to just Numenor and occasionally, like, stuff within the elves world. It's not, like, an entirely political system within the whole show. So I'm very interested to see what this undercurrent of Farazhan and, and everything that's going to happen whenever Midiel gets back to the island. I am too. And, you know, for better and worse, we'll talk a little bit more about this in episode eight when we get there too and wrap things up but there have been storylines there's so many things going on now that they can't possibly address every single thing in every episode we've seen it for a while and i think that maybe works a little bit to the show's detriment here in the last two episodes because there are loose ends that i don't necessarily feel like our ending of a season at this point, kind of, I kind of wanted more. They should have been clipped a little bit differently. Yeah, I wish that they had done a ten episode season instead of an eight episode. That probably would have helped. And they're they're also teasing so much stuff. Like, so the the Numenor, the fact of first season, and like we can only ask for so much. It's like, I think a lot of people. I had a friend who was let down a little bit by the last episode, and he was saying, you know, he was expecting battles and and stuff, and I think a lot of people are and. That's the thing is like, that's not how this story plays out is where we're at in the first season is not we're going slower. And so these prophecies are going to take a while to play out and and it will be the long journey will be worth it in the end. But it is a little bit chunk. I don't know. It's just there's there's a weirdness to the way that they're choosing to. There you go. Great word again, as always. Thank you for finding that. I can Um, translate. You're good. (laughs) Fragmented is perfect uh, way to put it. We also get like a quick shot of Adar essentially renaming the Southlands Mordor, which is one of those things that we kind of just, we already know. It's we just the it. show just has to show it for the people that may not. Um, and Halbrand we get to catch up with at the end, and he is badly injured and in need of medical assistance big time. They are not 100% sure whether or not he's going to make it or not but apparently he's healthy enough to ride a horse for miles and miles and miles it's almost like magic i just don't know i don't know how he does it i really don't he's a strong man that's all we got to say we'll get back to him later (laughs) also in episode seven we had some harfoot drama Um, the stranger causes another accident for the group as he is trying to talk to a tree and it catches on fire he he also does something good for them. I believe I believe this is the part where he they come upon this burned grove, and he essentially heals the ground and makes it into a livable space. Well, they where... don't know that yet. Like they 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 send he he does the magic thing with the tree, and then the tree collapses, and it almost kills. Like uh, I think it almost kills Dilly, and uh, so they like tell him like, just go. Like it's causing more like you're doing more harm than good and then they send him away and then when they wake up the next day they yeah, he does it from afar mm-hmm. i don't think he did it from afar i think what happened was when he was doing that to the tree he planted the seed of magic oh, and then overnight, you think it just grew it it. overnight yeah because the last thing that you see after the tree collapsed like or whatever that. and he's sent away is you see a little bud forming on that tree I so you that. see something growing on the tree after he leaves so i don't think that he's you know at a far like grow grow like i think he like he put the magic back into the earth 
And then when he left, you just saw the fruit of that happen, no pun intended, the next day. Oh, I love that. That's even better because it takes patience and yeah. a little bit of destruction to create, essentially. So they saw the damage first and then they, they sent him away. The I have no better way to call these guys because there's no like name. We do get some names in the subtitles for them in episode eight. I they had note. names in the other episodes. They were just in the end credits. They're very weird. Uh, well, they're referred to as the ascetic and the nomad, two of them. And then there's uh, the Eminem is all I continue to call it. I, and he's not named uh, or they are not named. I'm not sure um, what anything about this character other than they seem to be the leader of this group. But the three are hunting, tracking the stranger um, nearby and there's a confrontation and sorry i'm trying to think of there's another one i think it's like the dweller or something like that oh maybe like the three names i can't remember what it is they didn't show it in episode eight i was being very i was had subtitles on trying to find out who these people were essentially they're religious fanatics is what we end up learning about them is what it feels like yeah they're zealots of some kind Mm -hmm. cult but they they do have like an interaction with the harfoots here we see some of their magic in play. One of them grabs the fire of the torch, the Eminem guy, and he like blows on the yeah. fire and it blows into the caravan and catches it all on fire. And I think that was the moment when we become a hundred percent certain that they are not the good guys. <laughs> they are not yeah. good. They are not some, cause we really didn't know until then. It's just presumption. Of, of yeah, we, we knew we them. knew they were looking for the stranger, but we didn't know for what purpose. Like why mm-hmm. they looked, you know, kind of you know suspicious. But we were all like, eh, "This show is a show where can't really tell based off of looks." So and we got a definitive it answer. ends <laughs> with the Harfoots deciding that they are going to bond together, and Nori and Poppy and Sadok and Dilly is Dilly a mom? You mentioned no, Dilly is Dilly is uh, whoever the, the younger sister. Okay, the mom as well as Nori, Poppy, and Sadok go off to find the stranger and warn him that these three are seeking him and coming after him. And that's kind of where that storyline leaves off in episode seven. I didn't get a lot out of it. It felt like it was just mostly there to get the three close to the stranger. Yeah, it just like <laughs> so it's, we it spurred their movement more than anything else. Yep. And then we got a whole section in Kaza Doom. Yay! We get to go back and see some dwarves, and we absolutely love everything that we get Marigold. with our That's beloved awesome. dwarves. Marigold, there you go. Um, so she is with them. Elrond, I'm like pitches looking, I'm the dwarves. looking it up right now as we're talking about it because I'm like, I know I know her name. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. I'm sure everyone listening will too. Hopefully, I'll remember that. Maybe not. I'll, I'll recap on names before we do season two. But Elrond is pitching the dwarves to trade for Mithril. He's making Gilgalad's offer, basically telling King Durin, listen, we need this because we need it to live and stay here in Middle-earth or else we're going to have to leave. Durin's like, no, because <laughs> I'm a dwarf. <laughs> Hard pass. And I mean, yeah, not going to happen. He's like, I, we're not going to do that. And we get a lot of drama between... King Durin and his son, Prince Durin, get some softer moments between Elrond and Durin, and a beautiful little moment where Elrond actually gives back the piece of Mithril 
that Durin gave him. And I love one of the visual moments in the in the show where he is laying on the table or he puts it down on a table next to a leaf, a dead leaf. And the mithril begins to essentially heal this dying leaf or dead leaf. And I just thought it was a great way to kind of show visually like what they've been saying about this special power within the mithril. And we also get Elrond admitting to Durin exactly what we believed back in one of the very first episodes, which is that he lost the rock smashing contest on purpose. I absolutely loved Durin's response to this, just his facial expression of you MFR. Like, I mean, that was, it was such a like, oh, he's like I got a bit winded. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It was so, so good. And it, it ends that scene with Durin about to tell Elrond his secret family dwarven name. I guess they have these secret names and Elrond says, no, you know, wait and tell it to me later. And I just, uh, I don't know everything about that friendship. It very well may be my favorite thing about the whole show. I just, anytime those two are on screen together, you add in Disa um, as well when she's, you know, with the two of them or with Durin, I just, those three have, there's such a great chemistry uh, between them and the way that their character arcs are going. So yeah, I, it's, it's an interesting section. We lead up to Durin eventually catches them trying to mine the mithril anyway, and he kicks Elrond out of the city. And oh my goodness, it it results in like big time, seals it up. We see the Balrog down there, which we knew the was happening. Oh my gosh. But the way that I screamed, I was just like, <laughs> you audiences, like if you're listening, you can't see the look on my face. So watch this on YouTube because I literally was just like, because I knew like, because we had that moment, like the really pretty story moment with the Balrog, but we had nothing else beyond that. And I know like part of me is wondering, does, does Durin know? Like does King Durin know? And that's why he's like, I don't want you mining any deeper. That's a great point because because that's a very common thing we see in leaders right is withholding information from the public as to not create a panic so if everybody knew that there is this massive evil creature that lives down in the depths below your mountain then there would be chaos and controlling his community would be very difficult but by not telling them and trying to protect you, you very well may be correct on that. That would be interesting. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious. Like, I don't, I, I obviously, like, it's just a theory, but like, I mean, that's all, uh, all of the stuff that we talk about is our theories. But like that moment where he was like, like the fire show, I was literally like, ah! it's so beautiful. It's so, the way that I'm they so filmed excited. it with the leaf like flowing through the little hole and then just well and especially because of how what the leaf represents in other components of the episode as i was just like so the savior of the elves parallel will be the death of the dwarves yes beautiful 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 imagery um in that we also got the durin versus durin big blowout drama moment right before that which was heart-wrenching durin basically disowns his son he pulls this chest piece, uh, neck piece off of him and throws it on the ground. It's clearly some sort of royal accessory that that indicates that he is the prince. He goes to pick it up afterwards and his dad says, no, that's not yours anymore. Oh, it was really, really painful. 
And I think well done because I felt like it made sense in a way. I obviously don't agree with King Durin in these moments because I'm on Prince Durin's side emotionally, but Prince Durin has repeatedly ignored him and not followed through on what he has been told to do or not do. And so from a dad perspective, it's very easy for me to also understand why the king is responding the way he is and why he is so hurt that his son is not following yeah. on his, you know, instructions. And so I was reading the x-ray today. Sorry, that's what it was cuz I know that they had talked about that. It says if his name were indication enough, the golden crest upon Prince uh, uh the golden crest Prince Durin wears about his neck indicates that he's the heir to the King of Khazad-dûm. So he essentially oh, just took shit. away his heirship. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so disowned. Yeah, so it is. It is That's a big saying. deal. So like, Huge. it's a big deal. Yeah. Um. So I was like, I know that I read somewhere that they were talking about it. Yeah. So the X-ray trivia has that too. It also talks about. I know we talked. We mentioned it earlier. It talks about Celeborn, the husband of Galadriel. Of Galadriel. So like, yeah. There's 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 good little bits in this too. Um. But yeah, like, no, it was a big deal that he was like, leave it. Very much so. And I like Durin's line that he comes back to his father with. He tells him, "You speak of greatness for me." but you suffocate any ambition, any thought that does not start with you, which I think just echoes so many real life. Like people can relate to this, like sons, daughters, parents, when you're growing up and your parents supposedly want things for you, but they want things for you in a very specific way sometimes. And kids are trying to find their way. And yes, he's, an adult and he's married or whatever but in dwarven years he's he's still kind of you know he's not up there he's a baby. quite yet not with his dad um so yeah this was just super powerful stuff for me and we leave off in a very scary place where things are really fractured uh between the dwarves in within and then things are fractured everywhere with elrond being kicked out it's very sad because you just don't know what's going to end up happening uh, between Elrond and Durin. Under what circumstances are they ever going to see each other again? And how is that going to play out? We don't get to see them in episode eight, sadly. No dwarves. But there's Which a I thought was a very interesting choice, is that normally season finales have a piece from every story represented. So I thought it was really interesting that there were some that were left out of this, but it could just be because of how they ended episode eight that like there wasn't really necessarily a need to call back to the dwarves since Elrond had left his his role was far more focused on what they were doing with Celebrimbor, Punchface McGee. Yes, absolutely. Well, once we realize what the climax of episode eight is going to be centered around, it it becomes makes sense to me why the dwarves don't need to play yeah. any more role than what we have. Like we've seen where we left them is fine uh, for the end of the season. But like you said, so as we kind of start talking about episode eight, some here. I there were just things that were never talked about again. And so at the end of episode seven, the last time we saw Bronwyn and Theo and Erendir, you know, they're off to, I keep saying found Gondor. They didn't say that in the show, but we know that's what's happening. They're going to make a human colony. They're going to go and try and put down roots and recover with the refugees that they have. That's what's going to end up happening. But they they just, they're off. They go, and that's it. Like, we don't see well, they're them They're not, like, the only humans again. in existence. I Well, I know, but, like, they're the humans that we know in the show. I mean, that's all we have. 
for reference. Yeah, but I'm also like, like, why do they have to go found something? Why can't they just literally go find another like existing human city? Like, uh, it's they don't a have good to go question. like over into the mountains and be like, ah, oh, yes, I I claim this land and you know what used to be the Southland. Like, there are other humans. Because they're just white. Be like, oh, hey, like, do you guys have space? Yeah, exactly. Like, we're just gonna colonize this <laughs> section of trees for ourselves. <laughs> like, they don't have to have this grand gesture of like making their own place. I'm sure they're not like the last twelve humans in existence. <laughs> they can go find some other city to live in. Oh goodness gracious! <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Probably could have. Uh, but yeah, we don't, we but don't yeah, see no, them. I agree. Like there, there are threads that <laughs> don't continue to get pulled in episode eight that we are left to assume they'll be woven back into the fabric in season two. Yes, I would very much assume so. So season eight, let's talk about Numenor and that little bit of storyline first, because there's not a lot that happens. We get two kind of pieces of this one we see in Numenor where Farazon is commissioning either a portrait or a statue of the dying king uh, something he's having artists come and essentially audition to create something some sort of lasting piece memento as the king is going to pass arion is brought into this and given the opportunity to audition for this this job found that to be interesting because she is such a rookie at this point and I feel like there's definitely pro- uh, some political reasoning there because Farazan knows whose daughter she is and who he kind of has a bit of a, a rivalry with. And throughout this event with her being there, she ends up getting to hear some whispering and ends up hearing a prophecy that is from the from the king. He ends up it's very house of dragons this happened in house of dragon too which is, which is weird <laughs> like parallel episodes i just realized that where a dying king says something to someone it's who he thinks is king. he thinks it's one person but it's not and he thinks he's talking to Miriel, but he's talking to aarion and ultimately this all leads to her finding the palantir at the top of the tower but we oddly kind of just leave off with her looking and like it looks like she's about to remove the covering from it, but that's it. We never yeah. go back to that at all. And then the only other thing we get is uh, Queen Miriel, Elendil, Valendil sailing back home on their ship, heading to Numenor, rolling Black up. Flags. Yeah, rolling up and very like Pope like seeing the the flag. I think of the smoke coming out of the tower that's indicating that I think the king has just died. Yeah, I'm assuming. And that's it. Which I found to be a bit lacking, honestly. I thought I feel like it didn't need to happen. Like I feel like honestly, go. they could have pushed that into season two. Like it, there was nothing. Like beyond Mariel getting onto that ship, there was nothing else that really needed to happen. That felt like it was a stake in the ground. I, I see why they chose to put it in there because it does raise the stakes for what she's returning back to. But I don't necessarily think that it was needed. Yes, I agree. I think that could have easily just been woven into the the start of season two just fine at this point we knew they were going back okay they made it (laughs) it's like it just it felt so short that it i mean it didn't feel like it had a lot of reasoning to be there i feel like those honest to goodness like maybe five minutes of a 70 minute episode and at that point why so that was it um for numenor aarion now we understand is going to learn about this powerful thing and we'll see how the the politics of Numenor continue to lay out once 
the blind Queen Mariel returns. The other two storylines, we will save the big one, I think, for the last. We start off the show with a whopper. We begin in a place called Aaron Galen, which I immediately screenshotted and sent to you and was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Spelled a so little close bit. To my spelling. Yeah. It's missing one N and an E, but the, it has the E R Y N spelling, uh, like your name. And I just thought this was, I thought that was so cool. <laughs> it's called the Greenwood. I was like, oh my gosh, like two thirds of me is in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I loved it. I love that. We see the stranger walking through this rainforest of sorts, and the three trackers show up. The M&M tracker appears as an illusion that lures the stranger over, and then they introduce themselves, and they say, we serve you, Lord Sauron, and then the show cuts. And then we go do some other stuff, and they leave us with that for a bit. So thoughts when that happened i mean i can see your face right now so if you're watching on youtube you're missing this reaction but uh, you know i wrote some words down in the notes document that i'm not going to say because it's a, a not, not an explicit the podcast. way i screamed <laughs> i was like you did not i was upset through eight episodes of this to tell me that that is who that is i was like absolutely not i was Oh, I was so mad. I was typing because like, you know what? Like I was typing to my coworker. I was literally just like, no, absolutely not. No, refuse to believe it. Absolutely not. And she was like, she was like, just finish the episode. And I was like, no, I don't want you at this point. I was like, I'm done. Like they have destroyed all of my faith. Like I was so upset. Like, and it was not just because like you and I definitively knew who we were like, this is who this is. Like, I don't care what they write. This is who this is. Like, it wasn't even just that. It just felt like a betrayal of everything that they had set up for this character that I was literally just like, the whole point of a grand reveal is to leave breadcrumbs that audience members that they probably missed or glossed over as they were originally watching and or reading. And then if they look back on it, they can be like, oh, but like I was like, I looked, I thought about it. I was like, there were no freaking breadcrumbs. I was like, I refuse to accept that this is the twist because if it is, it is a knife in my back that is twisting my innards and I will not accept that. I was not happy either. I, I was, I was pretty upset. You text me and I was like, I, <laughs> yeah, you said you, you passed on forward what your coworker told you, which I appreciated. I, you know, it was smart. It was it very was, smart. It was very but smart. I'm not happy. <laughs> Yeah. I, I went through a whole range of emotions in that moment. So it was a smart choice, but it was, I don't think it necessarily was the most believable choice, but it was a good gasping moment. Well, I, yeah, I, I think the goodness we had seen eke out in the character over the last couple episodes as he was bonding with the Harfoots and obviously as he had just prior to that created the grove for them or healed it, I, I think those particular choices really are the ones that that made it less believable because i think if you had maintained his ambiguity which for quite a few episodes you just we didn't weren't 100 yeah. sure like could this be him and not him not understand yet and realize who he is 
then that was my thing is I was like, you know, if you're going to go for the whole like you have been like reincarnated as this person and anybody that, you know, is familiar with the lore, then they know, you know, he comes back and he has the ability to disguise himself. So like, did he come back into a like in a, into a strong, powerful body, but doesn't understand like the weight of his magic and everything like that? Like there were a lot of unanswered questions that could have led down this path. But like you said, the last two or three episodes, I was just like, there's no way like they there's no way. Yeah. There, there was. And there wasn't, <laughs> as we quickly learned. So they do kind of give up a little bit of information. They tell him that they have been seeking him and that he will rule all from the eastern land of Rune, which is where Mordor is over there. We end up getting a big fiery fight between the Stranger, the Harfoots, and, well, the Stranger plus the Harfoots versus the trio. We think that Sadok is going to die. Um, I, I thought he was dead. Honestly, he took some sort of a spear to the chest and gets pinned up against a tree. <laughs> I was like, how the heck you look gone? Luckily, uh, he does not perish in that moment. Uh, but he does. He does suffer what seems to be some fatal injuries. Sadly, it's pretty Which I good don't fight. think was necessary. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 I always just say, like, if, if you kill a character. It has to serve a purpose. Okay. Like if you if you kill a character that you have intrinsically linked characters to, like it has to serve, like there has to be a reason. Like Automo, like you said, it, this could easily be the spurring component of why like Isildur and, you know, Velandil are like, we have to, we have to finish this for him. Like he didn't want this. He didn't have a choice in this. Like we have to finish this. I don't see how killing Sadik at this component, like does anything for Nori or, or, uh, the stranger i can see where they like i i guess i can see where it could go for for poppy but i need i needed more from that moment to 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 show that it was worth it not just we're killing this character because we've all been like oh we like him that's fair i think it gives somebody else an opportunity to lead the harfoot clan and for that reason i mean he was old I'm not saying like anybody who's old was deserves he? to die. He looks old. <laughs> I don't know. I feel well, like I he, mean Frodo was six. I guess they're in, pretty. I they do have pretty long lifespans. So. No, I I get what you're saying. Um, I it was it adds an emotional compelling or yeah. moment to the fight. It, it adds stakes essentially, and this all results in you know the stranger heal him though. My goodness, the power that this wizard is exhibits is very strong and we so don't is know that he's a wizard yet well we do he's an istar they say that but they, don't, they haven't said it yet like they whenever, did. They he say... come, whenever he whenever he fights the thing right yeah he's so like whenever he fights and kills the trio or whatever like is have they already said that to him because I'm, i they didn't do. think that does. was so at one point eminem as they're about to fight and so it's right after the stranger ends up taking I'm sorry, but it's right after the stranger takes the staff away from him. And Nori has told him, only you can show what you are. He says something about like, I'm. Ah, that's right. They say say the word. Yeah. And the Eminem, like it zooms in on him. He says, it is not Sauron. It is not our Lord. It is him or the other. It is the Istar. And then wham, like he freaking wipes them all out oh i know what it is they just don't know that it means the word wizard until the end oh of the yeah episode. i'm yeah. Uh, right i'm personally like translating yeah, we we know what that word <laughs> yes. means but like they, they don't they, at the end they say he says like oh you you guys would call it a wizard or whatever yes 
Right. And so they know that multiple Maiar exist in the world, the Istar being one version of the Maiar. Sauron is also a Maiar. He is more powerful. The wizards are wizards Istar are kind of like almost like a, a sub segment of the Maiar. Um, and that's what Gandalf and Saruman are a part of. Yeah. What's really interesting and here is Radagast. that we're still not we're and Radagast. We're still not 100% sure this is going to be Gandalf. I mean, obviously, all of the signs point that way. Honestly, if they make this Sauron, I'll never. Well, no, I don't think it would be Sauron. I think it might be a blue wizard. So The blue one, yeah. The blue ones are never really introduced. We just know they exist in Tolkien's lore, but they don't like. He's in all gray. Yeah, I know. Right. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it's got to be Gandalf. Like I, I'll, I will probably. I would feel love it if shorted. they brought blue wizards into this, though. Like I would love it if they, like, if you know, on this journey. In addition to this on. being yeah, Gandalf, exactly. Yes. Like I want, I like through the five seasons. If I don't and Radagast, Radagast and Saruman at one point or another, I'm gonna be pissed. But I would love if they also added in blue, just because, like you said, like we they exist. Like, that that to me would be the perfect time for fan fiction because we don't know much. We don't we don't have a lot of frame of reference. Like that's something that easily be built upon. I'm it would be silly to not bring that in. So with you, a hundred percent there, and it, it will be a very good way to explore what this group accomplished in various ways outside of just the one specific instance we get introduced to them during yeah. the Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings. So yeah, so I, I like where we end up with this. It ends up with Nori staying with the stranger and the Harfoots and Poppy take off to move on to new land trying to find somewhere safe there's a beautiful goodbye uh, between nori and her parents i love scenes like this where a child says something or resp- reminds a parent of something that the parent has said to them a piece of advice that the parent probably thought the child wasn't listening or it just wasn't connecting with them and she echoes that back to her dad. And it's just like, oh, man, I as a parent myself, that just was super meaningful because it, it felt like such a validation that your your parent. And I know that that's what the dad felt in the moment was like, OK, I've accomplished what I wanted to do. Um, and, and my daughter listens to me and, and I feel good about that. And. Her mother and her are having their goodbye, and she says, I'll be careful, mother, and I love this too. And her mom says, no, you'll be bold, you'll be, which yeah, – I was like, uh, oh, oh. I know. My little feminist heart was like, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of men everywhere that are so angry about it, but yes. Yeah, well, I love it. Forget them. Yeah, that it was outstanding. And again, like just perfect, perfect setup here for why Gandalf would later entrust – and call upon hobbits in The Hobbit and in Lord of the Rings because he is bonding and his first interactions in Middle-earth are with Nori and she is showing him their strength and, you know, their their boldness. And I just, I, ugh, I just, it's, it's such a great backstory. Can I, can I just say like my, probably one of my favorite, mo- like there are a lot of callbacks to the original Lord of the Rings movies and the books in this series. But like one of my favorite moments was this last, and I was just looking it up on my phone. Cause I was like, I think it's this last moment with them where uh, like they're about to leave. And he's like, he asked Nori, like, are you sure? And she's like, not entirely, but like, 
let's go. Cause if I, like, if I think about this any longer, I'm going to stay. And, uh, like they get to the crest of the hill and neither one of them have any idea where they're going. And Gan, uh, the stranger that we do not know his name, uh, says, uh, I think it's this way. And she's like, are you sure? And he's like, not entirely, but there's a sweet smell on the air. And I thought it was very good to call back to the, like, when in doubt, follow your nose. Like the air is less foul over here. And I was just like, oh yeah that just it is like you can't tell me that that's not him if you're gonna put stuff like that in the script like that to me would be a cheap a cheap trick to play on audience members if they're gonna do callbacks specifically for gandalf and then not get not make him gandalf absolutely and i and i think that the first season is this one where we're getting the faints and and i think as we are going to talk about now as we move into this whole eregion gilgalahad galadriel halbrand Celebrimbor section of the show, the big chunk. I think we're going to hit a place now in season two where it's not nearly as much about like, ooh, is this the person that you were going to propel? Right. We're not going to be asking questions about who people are as much as just, okay, now we know who characters are and let's actually develop them as we know them and start building those relationships more deeply. Uh, And so I'm totally fine with that. You know, one season out of five, it's fair. To, yeah, to have some fun. first season especially yeah so this big section this uh, this is where everything lots is happening juice, lots of meat. um gil galahad is on the way to meet up with is it gil galahad or gil galad gil galad i don't oh did i, I say i did i said I, galahad. I, was like, I, like, I was like have i been saying his name wrong this whole time no no uh <laughs> you have been saying aragorn wrong for Eight weeks, but you have that. Aragorn, is, it's Aragorn. Yeah, you ever if you don't go back and listen because you'll be embarrassed. Oh, does it sound like Aragon? <laughs> you just say Aragon. I, I don't have the heart to stop you every time. Oh, no, no, I know. I know it's Aragorn. I, I know, I know it's Aragorn. I know it's Aragorn, I know. but like saying it doesn't feel right saying like the way I that I have to say it's like well, you're, you're saying Aron, dear. Like it's the same thing as I'm like Aragorn. <laughs> like I feel like I have to like push it. I'm Aragorn. Well, and you're in love with Aragon. So, I mean, it's it's understandable because this is an actual thing that exists. It's not like you're just making up a, an alternative. But yes, Gilgalad, not Gilgalahad, this is not King Arthur's Lord of the Rings, is on the way. <laughs> and he is expecting to have a solution. Elrond was sent out to make this deal. Dude, let's save the elves. He rides in. Galadriel is there. She has Halbrand. She brings him in to get healed up. This is a sweet reunion moment, I thought, between... Galadriel and Elrond, I really enjoyed them getting to connect. Am I right? And was it the first episode, the last time they would have yeah, been together, right? Toge- we haven't seen them because the end of the first episode is her jumping off the boat. So like that, like we haven't seen them together since the first episode. Wait, is that the end of the first episode or the end of the second? I always it's forget the because they put the two up, ep- they had premiered two episodes at once the first week, but I think it's, it's the, the end first. of the first one. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we haven't seen them together since Gil was like, go on that boat, float to yeah. your destiny. It was it was sweet, I think, getting to see them again. And I'm excited about having them back together because I like that pairing and I want to see more of that relationship building uh, between the two of them. Celebrimbor and Halbrand, interesting relationship starts to form. Halbrand is also a smith, which we knew. They meet in his workshop. There is a quick shot of three gems and I started geeking out in that very moment. I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. I know what those are going to be. Um, and Halbrand is suggesting to Celebrimbor that they need an alloy, which is the name of this episode, to be mixed 
in with the mithril in order to amplify its qualities. So there's a little bit of kind of scientific, you know, slash magical speak in this episode as and and understandably so because it's he's not wrong though like he like the way that he described it's not wrong yes i I agree um and because there's this whole but there's whole back i I see where this could lose some people because it's kind of dense is where i'm going yeah you know in the creation of the rings in general like your mind has to take a jump and they're trying to explain it versus a lot of time you can just know like oh that ring is the most powerful and it controls the others like all i need if i know that on a broad level i can enjoy the story but trying to understand how the rings got made and why they are able to be powerful is a little bit tougher i think they did a a solid job of finding a way to do that but it's not the the most entertaining part of it Um, but knowing what is coming is interesting i liked that the proposal was to make a circular crown because of the way that the circle affects the power uh, of the magical object. I liked that. And there's a great line where Killebrandbor is talking about what these are going to be. He says, it's a new kind of power, not of strength, but of, I think it's Killebrandbor, not of strength, but of spirit, not of the flesh, but over flesh. This is a power of the unseen world, which it is. Ke- it is Celebrimbor because that's what makes uh, Galadriel like. Oh yeah, she the, like she perks like, up. Like she's like, I've heard why, that before. Why did you say that? Yeah, like, and it's specifically over flesh. That's the that's like the key thing. Is like it's it's power over something, not power in like, and especially because elves in general work with nature, not over, not exerting power over nature or not against nature, like elves inherently of themselves work with the way the world does they're supposed to be ever moving and flowing and adaptable they don't control over things like it's an inherent feature of being an elf so for Celebrimbor to say that in general let alone for her to be like i heard this before like oh, don't do that <laughs> yep they tell him that they're gonna need more time and he says nope <laughs> gilgalad says that's it he says Shut down Eregion and everybody get your butts back to Lindon. The elves are out of here. We are leaving Middle Earth. Elrond claps back and hits him with the, yeah, but once upon a time you said this. And so now you'll be a hypocrite. So you need to give me three months. <laughs> and I love the look on his face. Gilgalad's like, okay, crap. <laughs> like, you got me. Uh, that's such a great. Like, I swear, kid. He's like, you're so freaking annoying. Yeah, but Fine. It, it's, it's just such a good little mentor mentee moment where it's one of those like, ah, but yes, I love it. So he gives him the three months, which is enough, apparently, to get this job done. Galadriel, meanwhile, after the perk up that you mentioned at that specific quote, she starts seeking history of the Southlands royal lineage to kind of further dive into who Halbrand might be while that's happening. We're learning that the mithril is not bonding well. Um, They're using force, and so they realize that they're going to have to make smaller items instead of this one large crown. So they decide, oh, we'll make three rings. Actually, they they actually decide they're going to make two rings at the beginning. And instead of a crown, obviously still circular. And then we see Halbrand. Well, first of all, we see Galadriel on the banks of the river beautiful 
beautiful backdrop, reading a scroll, coming to this realization of some kind of what this scroll has told her. She expresses a moment of kind of shock. And Halbrand shows up. And I will tell you, Aaron, when he admits who he is and when she she confronts him and she says you there is no you know yeah. dead kid you know he's gone he's dead you you can't possibly be this king and he's like i never told you i was i told you that i found this this token on a you dead man he's like you didn't you believed what you wanted to believe that would further help you know help your cause and he says but this was my cause too like i i was we were fighting the same war, and so it made sense. But then he reveals himself as Sauron. And the facial expression the actor makes, I just, it's one of my favorite shots in the whole series. It's just the Halbrand has been this, I don't want to say dreamy guy, but he has definitely got a handsome quality to him, um, very kingly in nature. Like, it's why we believed he could become that sort of like an Aragorn character and the look of just this smiling grinning happiness and goes to just I mean it's it's a it's awful (laughs) it is a 180 and it is terrifying and it launches us into this whole sequence so what did you think about this because we essentially get to see Sauron using some of his powers he we've already seen that he is he's known as the great deceiver which obviously he has done by presenting himself as this Halbrand character, but we see him go into Galadriel's mind. He uses these tricks, tries to pretend that he she is talking to her dead brother, and he sends her back to various points in her life and decision-making that she had to do. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was just such a great way of showing us just how strong he is from a mental magical standpoint and not physical and she had to really i mean she's galadriel and she had to really fight hard against it yeah i had lots of thoughts uh so i know like you and i had theorized that this could very well be him because essentially like we knew that like sauron could easily disguise himself as anybody we didn't know who he could be like that was a very smart ploy from a show perspective of like this could literally be anybody like we don't know like it's up for grabs but people because he is a new character have been theorizing since the beginning that he's sauron um we've seen you know bursts and displays of massive amounts of power uh, negativity and or like enraging things happen as they go the big tip off for me that it very well could have been him was the moment with adar to me like you look back on that and you're like yeah like this actually makes a lot more sense now because like the reason why like he was gonna kill him was he was like he's like started a completely different sub thing under my name and you're like claiming that it's for me when like that's not at all what i wanted like it doesn't say anything about the nobleness of adar's cause but he was just like you're saying like you got all this power under my name and then you're like besmirching it because it's not what like our goal was so yeah like it, it's one of those things where like they led up to it it didn't that the reveal in and of itself felt like somewhat squandered in that moment and i felt like like there was a big betrayal but I, I i wanted more um i don't know why like i i felt like there was just a there was something that wasn't that wasn't there that i wanted um, I like the fl- like the flashback thing was really cool um, because essentially like what he was trying to do is poison those memories and slightly alter them so that like the present day Galadriel was like, oh, like this would be good. Like 
like we could help people like you know it was the it's the same manipulative ploy that like every devilish character has ever used in any story ever you know they you know ply your ears with sweet words and like what they think that you want while always having their own agenda so like i thought it was really well done on that component of it it was a little like scattered and fragmented but i think it was intentionally done that way so like i I thought it was a really smart ploy to lean into like what they had created for that and i like that the justification for making three rings came about from that i thought that that was really smart to be like because it is true like they always say that there's true balance with three of almost anything which is part of why three is my lucky number but like with uh yeah with with the three of them my first thought was literally like i swear if you give Brimbo one of those rings punch that dude in the face i'll put that ring on and i'll punch that dude in the face but the whole thing with sauron um I, I just i guess what i don't understand is after galadriel had this like light bulb moment and she's like been put into a trance or whatever and he's like trying to like change her mind or whatever like where did he go well like, mordor he's just gone but no but i'm saying but like <laughs> I he's know. just gone and nobody seems to be concerned about it besides galadriel like Celebrimbor, who's been, you know, like they've been all up in each other's business for several days trying to get this magic, you know, metal to to work. All of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I guess my buddy's gone. Oh, well, I'll keep working. Like nobody seems to care that all of a sudden this person that's been core to how they're, you know, figuring out the science is now gone. And like there's the one question of like, well, where'd he go? And she's like, you know, like, don't concern yourself with it. She's kind of like, I effed up, but don't ask any questions. (laughs) Like, if you trust me, just like, don't say anything. Right. And she's like, I'm going to deal with this. I, yeah. I really liked the reveal. Because, and I, so back to that point that I told you, my, some of my friends were like, man, where was all the fights and the battles and all this? I liked the drama here because never have we had backstory for Sauron like yeah. this. Him having had a relationship with Galadriel and him telling her, you bind me to the light and I bind you to the power. And essentially he is making this case that they want the same thing, that they want to save middle earth. And she calls him out and she's like, yeah, but you said you want to rule middle earth. And he's like, well, yes, that's how we're going to save it. But there's a bit of a a little bit of like a, a thing here. So Sauron's backstory he served Morgoth. He didn't start by serving Morgoth. He was corrupted. Yeah, I was say, we only have like a we still only have like a limited amount of his backstory because we only have the story for Sauron as he is now, not the Sauron before with the, the previous war. Exactly. Well, and he specifically kind of talks in this episode about feeling regret for serving Morgoth. But after Morgoth got defeated, Sauron in the lore he disappears, and then this is where he reappears as someone the different person in the lore or whatever. But that's essentially what Halbrand's character is doing. Someone that ends up helping to get the rings created. But what I feel is like we're, we're getting this more nuanced and interesting Sauron who is not just pure evil following in Morgoth's shoes, but that has gone through serving the evil, now maybe genuinely thinking he wants to help the world because he was against Adar. He was try- he was not trying to create the same Mordor and and scorched earth that Adar was. We have always believed, I think, that, oh, well, Sauron obviously wanted it to be like that. This is giving us another reason for the creation of Mordor, where Sauron is more like, I just want to be the one. I think he just basically has ultimate 
faith in only himself and thinks that he's the only one that can end up doing this. And then I think we're heading more toward a place where there's, again, nuance in that he's going to then end up shifting more towards an evil type of demeanor because they're not letting him they're not helping and, him well and i feel like evil is i mean evil will always be subjective like that's the whole point of good versus evil is evil evil and good are in the eyes of both the person that is creating these acts as well as the person that's on the receiving end of these acts is like you know colonizers didn't think that they were doing terrible things they thought i'm you know bringing you know this to these people but okay it resulted in genocide but ah now they have cars like you know what i mean like it's it's not like they like they have a there's a warped sense of self morality in good versus evil acts and i think that we're seeing that play out within uh hallbrand's character is that like like you said you know he it's this it, it is the same thing as as adar though like adar wants dominion over an area but he wants it for the purposes of this one group has never had a place to call home he wants to give them that who he kills in the process of that he doesn't really care but once they have that, as far as we know, Adar was like, cool, they have Mordor now. Like, we don't need to do anything else. Y'all can go find, you guys can replenish across the entirety of the earth. This will be orc territory. Y'all go do whatever you want. Evil can reside here and be fine. If it stretches beyond the borders, y'all can deal with it then. But as far as we know, Adar or Adar or whatever the heck we're going to call him, like his goal was just to create a safe haven for these creatures that Sauron and or Morgoth had no problem just using for what they would do for them and then was willing to just like dispose of them afterward so like there there is that underlying current of like what adar was doing was he saw a wrong and tried to create a right from it but that right in turn he sees it as a right like he has the he has entire faith in himself and what he's doing but he's doing it at the expense of like murdering all these other people but at the same time all of these other people would have no problem murdering every orc that they came across. So there's there's duality and nuance to everything, which I thought was really interest like an interesting perspective of like you said, you know, Hallbrand is convinced that like him ruling over these people, them being his subjects, is the only way to save them, to save all of them. Like that's in his mind, he's made himself a god. What I thought, like again, this this episode was full of a lot of callbacks to Lord of the Rings. Um, there was a there's a moment like you know you said like he she asked like do you want to save or to rule right before then again my favorite scene in or one of my favorite scenes in fellowship is you know like when frodo offers her the ring and she's just like you give it to me freely you know what the f and you know she's like you're giving me all this power but like literally like on that boat in her like warped sense of reality when hallbrand's trying to convince her is is she he's like i would make you a queen uh as beautiful as the sea uh, and stronger than the foundations of the earth or something like that. But it's literally the ex almost the exact same line from Fellowship when she passes the test. So it's almost like she's passing a test twice now. So she's passed the same test with the, with the allure of the exact same power. And what I find very interesting in it is that like the anger that she has in this is so very different than why she passes the test in the future. And so what I think is going to be really interesting is the development of her character. At this point, she's just pissed that she, like she's mad at herself for this more than anything else. Like she's mad that like she trusted this person despite her better judgment at the beginning and he convinced her to trust him. And then like she ignored all of the other signs along the way. And then like she saw herself get pulled and dragged closer to evil while in his presence and didn't recognize that that was what it was. And so I think that the the poison component that I found very interesting throughout the whole season is like Gil-Galad believes it. You see it with Galadriel and uh, 
and Hallbrand is that like poison when left to just survive, it will find a way. And like this anger, this darkness, this, you know, this hatred that's festering within her. Gilgalad was like, well, if we send her away, then it goes away with her. So it's like they're all trying to snuff out the root of this evil, but in completely different ways and in completely different like executions. So it's going to be really interesting to see like moving forward how each of these storylines take the impact of knowing that he was right freaking there and none of us really knew and like they call him the great deceiver for a reason but how forgiving can you be with if like the most ancient who are supposedly the smartest creatures were also deceived by this person very very good yeah i think he could show up in future episodes as a completely different brand new character and I, I was wondering if they were, if you thought that, like, I've been debating whether or not they're going to do that because everybody got really attached to Hallbrand's character this season. I know. So I, if they change sad. his face each season, I just, I feel like they're yeah. going to lose out on, on development of that. Um, but it would make sense. I just don't know whether or not it would be like a justifiable expense. Yeah. I don't know how they'll handle that. Speaking of callbacks real quick, tangent in episode seven, there's a moment where Galadriel and Theo, when they're off on their journey in the forest together, that they come upon a band of orcs and they have to hide from those orcs. Oh, yeah. And they take they take a little hiding spot like underneath the ridge of uh, just of an overhang yeah. of a tree stump. And it is identical to Fellowship with the Nazgul see, like, looking the at the hobbits. Crawl out. Yeah. Oh, man. I just I loved that visual uh, reference as well. So, yeah, I, I think this is great. And I, I really enjoyed from a character perspective how we've set things up for the future to explore this deeper connection. Like you said, there's going to be so much regret as this progresses. Once we start seeing when Sauron initiates the actual war that is like ravaging the entirety of middle earth, then they're going to think back to the point that like you had him, he, he was right there. Like you had your dagger in your hand. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh my goodness gracious. Like that would feel awful. And we'll see how they deal with that. They go to create the rings. Like you said, um, Galadriel says, no, we need to make three. One will always corrupt. Two will divide. But with three, there is balance. Love that. She says, true creation requires sacrifice. Celebrimbor says that and says he needs pure gold or silver from Valinor um, in order to work with the rings. And the only source of that is this dagger that she has been carrying around. I'm assuming that was her brother's dagger. It is I'm trying dagger, to place, but it just okay. drives me insane that I'm like, that's the only thing y'all are both, <laughs> like all three of you are elves, and that's the only thing that you guys have. Uh, a little surprising. I like to nitpick, I mean, though. I, I, a, I'm a nitpicker, I know. Well, Aregion was established as like an elven colony. Like it is a, work. I mean, it is a, we've seen it like in the first couple episodes from afar. Like it is gigantic, right? Like, and that workshop is so sick, by the way, when he like opens yeah, the skylight. Yeah, no, it's dope when he opens it. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean. Yeah, there's some symbolism there. It's meaningful. Yeah. Sacrifice, giving up my brother's dagger. Let it go. And then we but see again, it. releasing the burden of what you thought your brother's death placed on your shoulders. Which is what so like was the crux of this whole episode, this whole season for her, the driving force for her motivations, which are now going to change moving forward, like, you, like you're saying. She's pissed. The third ring, when they start to forge it, uh, or when they're forging the three or whatever, it's I love the shot from above on the forge yeah. and the the swirling moltenness it, it looks like the eye of sauron for a second <laughs> it's just like mm -hmm. oh another great visual thing 
and then we see them. We see the the first three rings, the three elven rings. Vilya, which is the sapphire ring, which ultimately will, according to lore, should go to Gil-Galahad and eventually to Elrond. Ninya. Did I just say it again? I did. God dang it. To Gil-Galad and maybe eventually Elrond. Uh, Ninya, which is some kind of a white gem that is goes to Galadriel. Ultimately, it's the one that she's wearing in the Lord of the Rings films. And we don't know what kind of gem it is. We just know it's a white gem. That's correct. According to the lore, like it's never. It's not like it's a diamond. Or like I thought it was a diamond and I actually look it up because I wanted to be sure and found out I was wrong. <laughs> I don't think there is. I don't know if there are diamonds in maybe. I mean, there are. I mean, there. the thing is, is like there are. I mean, there's rubies and sapphires. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway. So somebody's I, yeah. got an emerald somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then Narya, which is the the ruby ring, which is what Gandalf eventually comes to be the owner of and also is briefly wearing in the two towers i think it is we can briefly see it on his hand when he's at the hill above helm's deep and he does his little lightning blast like so we've got the three rings we know that one goes to gil galad and one goes to galadriel lore wise before it gets to gandalf who gets the third ring gil galad so why does he get two well i think he's gonna get them all so i i think he's the ruler so I think this is a matter of I have no, I don't know the the details of like when they transfer from sure. one person to another. I mean, we're talking like three thousand years later is who these yeah. people how these people got. Like, there's a lot of time, but my guess is he's the guy in charge. So it's going to okay, be like so he divvies everything. Out. Hey, dude, here's these three powerful rings. What do you want to do with them? Kind of like how they have to make a decision in the fellowship of how to split the group up and who's going to do what and who's going to go where. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens to these rings and how yeah. they get used and by whom over the course of the series. And Before I personally, I just loved it. To end up with. I don't know why I wasn't expecting it to end like this, but when it did and I, it hit me that we were slow playing the creation of the rings. I mean, it only makes sense because we're building up to the big war. We got five seasons. You so. can't make all 19 in one season. What's the point of that? Uh, but man, I just I loved it because we got we got our three elven rings. That means we're probably going to get a season that builds up to the seven dwarf rings. And then probably things are going to happen that lead up to the not. I know you and I are excited for that part. I want all of season two <laughs> to take well, place in Casa Doom. That's seven dwarf? Seven. All I want. Seven. Who's getting seven dwarf rings? That's that's something I'm very curious about. Astroid. We don't. Aaron. I don't even know how to respond to that. I So. Is that why they? Is that why they? <laughs> anyway, I don't. You've thrown me off. <laughs> anyway, you're welcome. I'm excited to. No, see No, I I think rings. that slow playing the ring creation is smart. I think that based off of where we start, like prediction wise for future seasons, not just season two, is I think that they. I think the last group has to be men, um, just based off of one, we're corrupt, terrible people, um, but two, like. They have to establish a foothold in Middle Earth, which right now they don't have. Um, so I think that season three slash season four will be about men, you know, creating these colonies and or, you know, Gondor or Rohan or whatever it becomes. I think that season two is going to be I really hope it's going to be focused on the dwarves. I really, really hope it's going to be focused on the dwarves. Um, I think it'll be honestly, I think it's going to be more dwarf, uh, dwarf, more. You know, what? it makes sense. More the, dwarf and elf time. So more Elrond and Durin. Yeah. I the think 12th. that that's really going to, I honestly, I just want to watch a buddy cop comedy with, with Elrond and Dora. That's all I want. Um, but I think that's what, I think that's what season two is going to be is I think Galadriel is going to 
I think we're going to see more of Numenor. I think that we're going to see uh, Galadriel try to deal with her anger and her grief over her trust. Um, I think we're going to see more of Elrond, more of uh, Durin and Disa. I think that we're going to get pieces of, I think we're going to have to get pieces of the Southlander stories only because we're going to, like, it, that to me is going to be the slowest build of the whole show, is the building of the race of man in Middle-earth, is I think that that's what's going to be the slow build across three or four seasons. But we're going to see a lot more from those two uh, like those three, I should say, within that group outside of the Numenorians. So I think that, that those are my predictions from season, from a season two perspective. I think we're just going to get pieces of that, but I think we're going to be building towards the foundational ring creation for the dwarves in season two. I am right on board. I think that's exactly I don't know what's going to happen with the stranger, though. Yeah. I mean, I, I think don't he... know how much of their journey is going to be filmed versus what happens at the end of the journey. It, it'll probably just be interspersed within just it, very slow. Like you said, um, I, I think it probably will just continue to build upon Gandalf's. Maybe this will be the formation of like, well, he's going to probably seek out the other Istar that have come down. Like, well, I, I was going to ask, that. I was like, I, I also need, I want to see it on a map as well, because I want to know, like, is he going to have to go through what is like future Rivendale or whatever to like, if he, if he, if he has to pass through Linden, then that's going to be the intersection. So I think that Nori and the stranger are going to be the one thread that tie through every single storyline. Is that as at one point always have been be journeying through? <laughs> yeah. I was like, and yeah. they're going to end up, touching on other things um so i think that that's gonna happen but i don't know if it's gonna be gandalf gets to the dwarves first or gandalf gets to or the stranger, the stranger. Whatever, where, i'm just gonna call him gandalf. big big daddy g is gonna get to the dwarves or if he's gonna get to the elves first i think it's gonna be the elves um i think they're gonna end up like in a forest somewhere in the next season and that's gonna like play out there as well um but i'll be interested to see whether or not they seek out rune or if they seek like if there are like they're going to come across other rumors of fallen human stars or whatever and then they're going to seek those people out or if they're all going to end up just going to rune and then they find each other yeah yeah i don't know and maybe the balrog you know at some point kaza doom is going to get wrecked i, I, I don't, don't think that'll be a season two i think there's too no much i don't either have to do yeah i think that'll i think be in four or five i think that'll be a culminate because that's a culminating event yeah i think i think we definitely need a lot more in Casa Doom. Like we need some more expansion of the dwarven entire system. Where's Moria again, in in relation to where they are? This is Moria. Casa Doom. That is same place. Yes. But uh, so it's a massive. This is the mines range. of Moria. Yeah, I know it's a massive mountain range. Though I guess I'm just trying to figure out like where Damn. they seem to exist. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like no, like where they seem to exist right now. Like. Are they over what become like the mines of Moria or are they building into what becomes the mines of Moria? Like that's what I, think I, I guess that's what it, I'm trying to okay, yeah, that's what I'm question. trying to figure out is if that's like because with all this the talk about like caves collapsing or routes collapsing, I wonder if the mines don't exist yet, they're just mining versus like the actual inner like what we see in Lord of the Rings where you see like the inner workings of the underground system of the mines mm -hmm. of Moria, which we haven't seen yet. Yeah. I don't know. That's what I meant. I know that the I know that Moria is there. I'm just wondering like whether or not those mines actually exist yet or if they're building towards that and then that's when we get the Balrog. I don't know. I would assume that they're going to fight the Balrog with their rings of power eventually or that may be why they want them. It I I that's something that I'm very intrigued by as well just for the rest yeah. of the whole series is the only rings we know about are the elven ones and the one ring. So there's all these dwarf and human rings. I have no idea what they do what kind of power they have, how they were used. It would be really cool to see that. 
uh, actually take place. It's going to be like, Wonder Twin powers activate. Oh, gosh. I mean, Elrond and Durin. I've... <laughs> They're just going to fist bump oh my and God. like, shape of, oh, aha. Oh, my God. <laughs> giant eagle go they're, i was like no. they just turn into the giant eagles yeah. honestly though if we go the whole five seasons and there's no giant eagle race i'll be really upset we've already seen one and it was getting itself killed <laughs> unfortunately by a fell beast more. yeah more. we need something all right so overall satisfied with the season like where it's yeah, going i give it i mean the thing like there there are problems like i don't think anybody could sit there and say that there aren't um but i am intrigued enough to watch the next season like i'm not going to sit here and say that it's you know there aren't concerns or issues that i have with it but i'm not going to abandon it after this one season i didn't abandon parks and rec and it's now my favorite show of all time so there we go and their first season was not great yeah i really loved it as a whole had definitely like you said some ups and downs and some shakiness to it some fragmented storytelling that wasn't my favorite but i think the foundation is there to to build upon and i hope that they take the positive feedback that fans have given not the crazy insane people that just hate it because it exists but the people that like are us and love it but think it could be better and just continue to develop on that and strengthen it each and every season from here on out i just i love that it has a known endpoint as well that we yeah are not going beyond everything is building too we have an event that we're headed toward and it's just a matter of getting us there in the most not necessarily most efficient but the most the best satisfying satisfying way yeah um so yeah i'm really really happy with it i was very nervous coming into its existence and yeah it's been fun and it, and it definitely enhances it i think getting to talk to you about it every episode i'll be honest is always a plus it just makes me appreciate what i watched even more so thank you for you're doing welcome this. this has been fun excited for next year yeah all right, everyone. Well, thank you for listening one last time. Aaron, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet if they wish to stalk you? No, don't stalk her, please. But if you do want to talk to her. I hate people in general, so just please don't stalk me. You can find me at essentially Aaron on pretty much every site, uh, E-R-Y-N-N-E. All right, and you can find me, Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, all over the internet. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, yada, yada. And there are show note links. There are links in every show notes. Oh my goodness gracious. This is how we <laughs> fall apart at the very end. There are links to all sorts of things and places you can find us online in the, show, check notes the show notes <laughs> to every episode. With that, we'll wrap this up. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. We'll be back next year. One podcast to cool them all.